If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson. And the recent ruling in the Dobbs case that undid 50 years of law and assumptions of constitutional rights when it came to abortion is still an issue that's being unpacked and understood, and all of the implications and ramifications are working their way through not only the legal system, but all kinds of areas of our lives that we were taking for granted up until a couple of weeks ago. One area that's begun to receive just a little bit of attention is the tech ramifications. And all of the apps and websites and social media that we use that are now going to interact in all kinds of strange ways with the new legal landscape in America. To discuss that aspect and the broader issue of privacy and location tracking and all kinds of things that we don't necessarily find that savory about our tech world, we're very pleased to have Rob Chevelle. He's the CEO of Abine that offers Delete. Say the name of the service that you're. It's delete me, but your your website your website is different. Yeah, it's join delete me. Join delete me. And, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. And this is one of the premier services that you, as a consumer, can go out and get if you don't want to be tracked so much in all of your wanderings across the internet and social media and apps. And this just kind of connects to this, this broader issue that you know, I think should be more front of mind for more of us. So let's talk about the most immediate application that I think has, has arisen out of the Dobbs decision that maybe people aren't paying quite enough attention to. I, I, think I saw an item in the Washington Post that Planned Parenthood is going to remove marketing trackers that it had put on its search pages related to abortions to make sure that if people are searching for information, that can't be tracked. That seems to be just one small slice of the kinds of of information that could now be problematic from a legal perspective for people in America. What kinds of information are you focused on and, and what kinds of applications or websites or, or social media sites are, are, are these pieces of information tracked on? Yeah, so it's a great question. You know, if I'm a concerned person in this country, concerned about the issue, either from a personal standpoint of, 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 of abortion and the right to, to life and so forth, or concerned in some professional manner, you probably want to better understand, you know, how digital tracking works in this day and age. And it's a big topic. I can share a little bit of, of our perspective on it. And our perspective is the perspective of a privacy company. You know, we do one thing, and that is to try to give our customers more privacy, reduce their digital footprint out there. And 
obviously we all produce a lot of data every day and when we walk around with our phones when we're logging into apps uh and even now in the pandemic when many of us are still working from home or working from home some some number of days a week we're producing ever more amounts of data about our activities which can be tracked whether it's a search term that you're putting into Google or whether you're just simply logging into some website that you you use often for either work or personal reasons so so you know i think the first question to tackle is you know what 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 is out there that's that's being tracked. And then we can talk a little bit about what the implications are for specific contexts like the Dobbs decision and, and, and so forth. So, so what, what is out there that's being tracked? So, so when, I, when I go to an app, when I use Facebook, when I enter a Google search term, what kinds of information about me are now available to someone out there? So the bad news is almost everything is being tracked. <laughs> Literally almost every, not even every, I mean, to scare people a little bit, it's not even your clicks, every click that's being tracked now. It's, it, it, a lot of times it's every motion of every mouse or touch gesture on your phone or everything. The amount of uh, tracking technologies, especially over the last five to seven years has gotten pretty, pretty incredible to the point where we're creating a digital log of almost every action that we take. And that's not just when we think we're, we're using technology, but when our phones are in our pockets and we're walking around. So here's an example. If you've installed a app uh, that track, that gives you weather, you know, maybe you want more local weather, maybe you want a, you know, better weather than the weather app that comes on your iPhone. Most of the time, that app, and there's a whole class of other apps, and I don't want to single these guys out as the only bad actors, but you know, the weather seems pretty innocuous, right? You know, what's it going to be like this afternoon? Is it going to be sunny tomorrow or not? They are typically logging every single GPS position that your phone is in and combining it with other data that they're getting about your phone, the apps on it, and, and so on and so forth. So an app as simple as something that we use all the time, like weather, can reveal a ton of location data and other data that's tied to us as individuals. So just to step back for a second, because I heard a few things there. So weather's the most innocuous example, it sounds like. And even there, a company can tell if where you are when you're, when you're using your, your phone or when you're even on your, your desktop or your laptop. They can tell how much time you're spending. They can even tell, so let's say I'm scrolling on, on the Facebook app. They can even tell if my eyes get caught on a cute cat video. They can tell how long I, I pause in my scroll to watch that cute cat video. And then they can say algorithmically, huh, this is a guy whose attention we can grab with cute cat videos. Yeah, and, and, and unfortunately, for, for those of us that are slightly older, they're doing an even better job with the younger generation. So the TikTok team that's tracking the younger kids, sort of probably 15 and you know, 10, 10 to 15 years old or 10 to 20 years old or, or what have you, are doing an even better and, and better, I use better in, in air quotes, job at tracking all of these different things that 
can be logged as part of your psychographic profile, mainly for advertisers. Now, one of the problems, and let's go back to the weather app as an example, is that there's a bunch of weather apps and they're all competing with each other. And some of them, you know, are, 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 are done by large reputable companies and some are not. And all of them, if you're not paying every month for that weather app, have to do something to pay their developers for the next version and pay their own salaries and so forth. So they're selling the data. And one of the biggest buyers of all this different data is a a class of, of companies called data brokers. And those are sometimes familiar to us as, as consumers in the U.S., things like whitepages.com and, and, and that sort of thing, mylife.com, places where you can go and search for other people and pull up profiles that contain their personal information, contact information, that kind of thing. But data brokers buy a lot of this data so that they can sell higher priced data sets to different entities that, that, that are asking for it. And, and what what is happening is because as we just discussed there's more data out there being logged by all these apps and websites and so forth and because it can be efficiently combined with our personal information by these data brokers so that's you know our name our full address our past addresses our phone number our you know email address our other email address that kind of thing because that can all be combined easily what we're getting is the ability to do hyper-targeted, hyper-based kind of campaigns. And, and that can be problematic. It can be problematic for an abortion seeker. It can be problematic for somebody who <clears throat> wants a certain amount of insurance and can't find it. it can be, there, this data can be used, you know, obviously in many different ways. And the problem that, that we have seen is that it can now be combined very easily. So what what started off as quote unquote anonymous data, hey, this weather app doesn't really know who you are. It's just logging every place you are and where you are and the, the sort of IMEI or the unique serial number of your cell phone. Now that can be bought by a data broker and combined with your profile so they know exactly who you are and then where you were and all the stuff you looked at and whether you like cat videos and all this other stuff. And that starts to become, it, you know, it all sounds sort of innocent if you believe that advertising is the only use of our data. But if you start to look at the legal landscape and the issues that we're going to talk more about today, it can start to look pretty problematic across a variety of dimensions. I, I mean, look, I want to set the record straight on two things. First of all, I hate cats. I think cats are downright terrible. And, you know, I I just can't believe that we allow animals to crap in our houses. I just, that seems fundamentally un-American to me. But more to the point, I'm someone who at baseline is creeped out by everything you just described. And I think that there are a lot of people in America who feel the same way, but there are emphatically a lot of people who don't and who very much identify with your last statement, which is, seems pretty innocent. I don't really care if someone's going to market more effectively to me. If they know that I, Matt Robeson, here's a true fact. I do like chess videos. I like to watch short videos of classic chess matches. Yeah, I'm a nerd, whatever. If people know that, and that means that they can insert advertising or put it together with other information about me to say, wow, this guy's a giant nerd. I bet he wants to buy X and such. They don't care. 
And they, they do see that as pretty innocuous. But I think what you've raised that really should raise the hackles of everybody is we're in a new era from a legal standpoint. Let's just look for a second at just the abortion slice of this, although you raised insurance. You, there, there are other legal issues to look at here. But let's just look at the new abortion landscape. The new law in Texas that was the biggest abortion headline before the Dobbs ruling specifically allows Texans to bounty hunt one another on suspicion that someone has gotten an abortion after six weeks, meaning that they can collect $10,000 for anyone who they identify. It's like bring them in dead or alive anyone who they identify and is successfully prosecuted for getting an abortion after that time period. What this means is that there's now a big financial incentive and you could see a marketplace developing for, hey, wouldn't it be useful to know everyone in the state of Texas who visited the Planned Parenthood website, who looked at a fertility app, who maybe drove to and spent more than 15 minutes at OBGYN's office. Anyone who, I mean, there was a case several years ago where Walmart was able to identify a, a, a young teenage, a teenage girl who was pregnant before her family was aware of it based on her search history and started sending her advertisements for prenatal vitamins, which was the first tip off, hey, maybe this girl is pregnant. That seemed like the kind of thing that now has much more profound legal implications, at least in Texas, but now in, in other states around the country. Is that the kind of concern that now has been raised in your mind as a privacy expert post Dobbs decision? 110% correct. And, you know, it's, as we're seeing, and as you're, you're citing examples of, this is gone way beyond a concept of, hey, sell me a better product that I'm more interested in. Way, way, way beyond that. And, and it is true that a lot of people still look on the internet and go, hey, I'm, I'm seeing that this ad and that's fine and I can click on it or not click on it and you know, the buck stops there. I think, however, that that is in increasingly going to be seen by everybody, no matter what political spectrum you're on. And I'm an entrepreneur, okay? I, I, I skew probably libertarian before anything else. I mean, I'm, I, I, I mean, before red or blue, you know, in some senses it's, it's irrelevant, but the point, the point that I'm making is should, should, I think looking at this from a logical standpoint should start to have <clears throat> concerns about what data they are exposing and how it might be used in ways that are not wanted by them in the future. And that could be something very personal. It could be, it, it could be something about related to their family. And, you know, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of incidents that people are experiencing in their lives. And I'm not talking about people with a specific legal issue or personal issue that backs into, you know, uh, the, the, the law, but I'm talking about just average people living their life with a, some of it online. They're experiencing issues of unwanted contact, harassment, people finding them in ways or finding their family in ways, shapes, and forms they never intended because their data is out there. And that is unfortunately, in, in some cases, you know, increasing our business because they're coming to us saying, hey, this happened to me. This happened to a family member of mine. 
and we don't want it to happen again. So what can we do? And, you know, we try to help them, you know, reduce the amount of, of contact info and personal data that's out there about them and easy to find. But the point remains that at the broader level, we're all giving away, creating all this data and all these trails. And those trails are, are, are up for grabs in, in what I'll call the aftermarket, which is where all this data is bought and sold behind our backs without our knowledge and without our participation. And of course... I, I guess this leads me to two questions. I, I do want to get into it. And I'm going to put it in the parking lot for, for a minute from now. Some of what you mentioned before about building up psychographic profiles of people, because that's something that's come up in the campaign context that I'm personally more familiar with, where that kind of information where you put together seemingly unrelated pieces of data into a big portrait of someone, that becomes incredibly valuable to someone, in this case, a, a political campaign. But I just want to talk for, for just a moment, we're going to have to take a break in a second. I just want to talk for just a quick moment about, again, back in the abortion context. First of all, some of this information, some of this data, it could be something that law enforcement could subpoena, could go after, could go after data brokers, could go after social media companies, could go after app developers, because there could be some very specific indicators of someone's activity that could now be illegal, that you could find at least some circumstantial evidence to support through this kind of data. Is that right? It's 100% true. You know, those subpoenas to these different kinds of companies happen on a regular basis. That's just a fact. And most, most companies have no, they have no setup even on their website to tell you or alert their customers, whether there's a subpoena in progress or what have you. So a hundred percent true. Like it, 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 it is happening today. And the, you know, the second question that I would have is it's kind of related to the psychographic profile is kind of about leakage. Cause I could, I could picture people listening to this right now and saying, all right, look, this is pretty simple. I'm just going to make sure to be anonymous and not spend a lot of time on fertility apps. <clears throat> That'll save me. But it sounds like you're suggesting that won't necessarily do it if you're in a place where abortion is illegal. Maybe I just avoid, first of all, I know that I could go into my iPhone and I can turn off location service. So maybe that'll protect me from being tracked where I go. And maybe I can not use an easy pass because that's data that's been used. It's been used in divorce cases to prove that someone was traveling around for an illicit affair. So maybe I'll, I won't use an easy pass. And maybe I'll avoid surfing to plannedparenthood.com or I'll do that at a library or something. Maybe I can take these obvious steps. But you were suggesting a moment ago that maybe it's not as simple as that because there are data brokers out there whose entire business is putting together pieces of information about you to build up a profile that can be extremely powerful and extremely accurate. So if you take those super obvious steps, I'm not going to visit the Planned Parenthood website. Is that enough? Or can data brokers still figure out a ton of potentially damaging information about you, again, in this abortion context, that you're not able to control? It's a good question. It's a relevant question. I wish I had a super simple answer. I, I'm tempted to answer in both ways of, uh, of you know, to, to, to frame the, 
the worst of our politicians in a political conversation. But look, I think there are some things, simple things that everyone can do that don't create too much of a headache in our daily lives, that, that actually do dramatically improve your online privacy. And if you are, if you find yourself engulfed in some kind of abortion-related situation in a state where it is now illegal, doing these things can make a large impact on whether data out there about you can be correlated to something that is suddenly illegal. So I don't want to leave the impression that there's, you have to throw up your hands and there's nothing you can do. There are, there are certain things you can do that make a big difference and, you know, sort of not using Google for searches and, and, you know, not, not sort of visiting, you know, or downloading, you know, obvious applications to, you know, that, that relate to pregnancy and what have you are, are things that you can probably avoid without too much headache and too much additional friction in your life that can make a big difference. If you're not that easy to find, logic states that it will be harder to find you. And so that's the positive. The negative side of the answer is we're human. We're producing a lot of data. We're busy. And the data broker and data correlation industry that has evolved over the last decade has gotten much more sophisticated at putting these pieces about our activities together and connecting them to our personal data. So I wouldn't download an app if it says, don't worry, all your data is anonymous. Don't worry, it's anonymous. That is farcical in today's day and age when a data broker can buy that data and correlate it very easily based on some other information and data sets and that kind of thing. And frankly, you know, we're seeing this trend play out year after year after year. I think in 2019, for our Delete Me customers, we found a, an average of about 250 individual pieces of personally identifiable information across these data brokers that for each one of our customers. Last year, that had climbed to almost 500. So they've almost doubled mm. the amount of personal information they're able to find and correlate about each citizen in this country in just two, two and a half years. So I don't think the trend, if you want privacy, you want to keep people out of your business for one reason or another, is going in a favorable direction. And just to underscore this in, again, I, I come more out of a politics and campaigns context. So, you know, the, the classic book on this is The Victory Lab by Sasha Eisenberg, a previous guest on this show. And he showed very compellingly how even eight to 10 years ago, campaigns were able to assemble seemingly disparate pieces of information that you might not think give away a lot of detail about your, your political views and put them together, use some statistics and develop a stunningly accurate profile of you, your likely voting habits and the, the likelihood that you would show up to vote and just how to go at you to convince you to show up and vote for their candidate. It could be your magazine subscriptions. It could be your church attendance. It could be all kinds of things that you wouldn't even think of that are statistically correlated with your behavior. And that was eight to 10 years ago. And now we're carrying around these personal privacy giveaway devices in her pockets that are telling often where we are, what we're doing, how much time we're spending looking at various things. And all of that is leaking to these data brokers. And as you just said, 500 current points of data that you've identified 
and it's going, it's only going up. And so these psychographic profiles are becoming only more accurate and only more powerful. And I guess my point is that in the abortion context, I could see, and I'm not very creative about this, but I could see how all kinds of behavior on your phone, on your apps, or online could feed into these data points that could suggest a lot about, hey, this is someone who might be pregnant. This is someone who might be looking to end a pregnancy. Would that get you in trouble before the fact? I can't say. Legally, probably not. After the fact, if a case is being made against you, if you're a physician, perhaps, and they're trying to prove that uh, a patient that you saw received an abortion from you, could this be information that's entered in a court? I don't know. We're figuring all of that out legally right now. I want to throw another example at you, though. We were talking before about there are all kinds of applications for these data sets that data brokers compile. What about insurance? What about insurance companies? There are limitations on what insurance companies can ask you and what, what information they can use to set your rates. Is it possible for them to build up these profiles about you and try to make assessments about what kind of a risk you are in terms of the lifestyle you lead, in terms of that, the, the health profile you may have? And could, that, could you be leaking data right now that could affect your insurance rates. I believe that the insurers are using every data set that they can buy and get a hold of to to underwrite, you know, better. And I think it's the it's already happening. And it is true that there are legal barriers. And you know, I think one of the things the legal system needs to catch up on is this country in particular is the use and correlation of our personal data across domains. And that, 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 that last part of my statement is really the important part. It has been the wild, you know, since we can't, you know, for the last 20 years of building, you know, the, the internet in this country, it has been almost completely unregulated. We've, you know, when we started and contrast that to, you know, our, our good friends that we all love, the credit bureaus, Experian, Equifax, TransUnion. When those got started, they were regulated under something called the FCRA, I think in the 1970s, that reported to Congress. And Congress had direct oversight over those huge data factories that were pre-internet, that had profiles that were used by insurers and others about us. Now, now contrast this to where we are now. We've created thousands and thousands of experience and Equifax. We've, we have the new credit bureaus, these data brokers and these other social media companies that have aggregated, you know, more data about us that's being used for decision-making. And we can, we should just call it what it is. It's decision-making about our credit. It's decision-making about our voting and our personal, you know, hit history and, and, and so forth. And, and, you know, if people don't think that's happening, they need to think again. It's, I, affecting, it's affecting their lives. It's affecting their lives. It's just hard to see it all. Yeah. I, you know, I just want to connect back for a moment to an episode that I, I did about a year ago with the author of a book called Sharonhood about why you shouldn't share information about your kids on social media. And her entire point, and she's a brilliant Harvard uh, lawyer, actually a, a professor at Harvard Law School. Her point was, it's not what Donald Rumsfeld would have called the known knowns or even the known unknowns. It's the things we can't even conceive of 
yet, the unknown unknowns that should really worry us. It's not just the growth that you cited before of the 250 points of data to 500 points of data. It's where will this all be in 10 years? And as we build up for these companies as a service to them, apparently, as we build up these psychographic profiles of here are some pictures of my kids. Here's what they do. Here's what they're into. Here are the experiences they've had. Here's where they live. Here's what they're studying. Here's what they're struggling with. As we build all of this information up online, we can kind of see some of the problems that that might create for them now. We can't see all of the problems that that might create for them. All of this rant that I'm having here leads me to a little bit of a question. Boy, I'm coming out as majorly anti-tech today. You mentioned before that there are some simple steps that people can take for themselves and for their kids to protect themselves from this kind of activity. I know that obviously you recommend, look, if people want to be serious about this, you know, get a service that, that helps protect your personal information. But in terms of kind of DIY steps, sure. what do you recommend to sure. people? What are the simplest things that they can do to try to forestall some of this? Yeah, so look, I think it's, it's the right question. And I think we, we touched on some of them. One is, you know, don't, when you search for things on the web, typically do not use Google. I use an alternative like DuckDuckGo because they will erase the searches that you put in. Simple as that. Google, you can set it to do that, sort of. It's a lot of different settings pages. You might get confused on the way. That's that's Google's job to kind of confuse you. So, you know, be careful with your search terms and what where those terms are being logged. Secondarily, don't download or visit, especially in the context of today's conversation, sort of obvious apps or websites that will flag you in your in your data trail as you know a potential consumer of you know a particular service or somebody having a certain problem or you know you know that even if you're a medical if you have a medical condition you know searching for that and then going to those websites it can be problematic so just you know think carefully about where you're putting in your searches and, you know, the good news is there's some alternatives that have proven to be pretty privacy friendly and that work pretty well. And then lastly, um, you know, you mentioned what can people do themselves and, and relatively, you know, uh, without, without a huge amount of effort. Another thing, you know, that we recommend is, hey, get your, you can do part of what we do at Delete Me free all by yourself. You can opt yourself out of a bunch of these databases that the data brokers have aggregated. And we actually on our on our website have a on the home page have a thing on the top that says DIY guide. And if you just that, that's at joindeleteme.com. If you just click on that, it, it'll start start you off with like one, two, three, four. Here are the steps you need to opt yourself out of Spokio and opt yourself out of Number and Check Checkmate and these other ones. And you know if you go do that and you watch your search terms and don't download obviously nefarious apps, I think you've, you've done a lot, you know, I mean, it might not be 90% of the job that you need, you know, that to protect yourself, but, but you've done a lot more than, than you might think. So I think that's the good news. And a couple more to throw 
at you. So, and I, I want to make this very specific because we said at the top that what really brings this issue up that obviously I care about at baseline and so do you for all kinds of reasons. But it, it, what, what's brought this really to the fore is, is this angle that, you know, there are going to be a lot of situations where a lot of women are going to be looking for abortions where providers are going to be looking to provide them. There are going to be confusing questions of who's coming across state lines, what you may know and what you may not know about the law in your area or the applicable law of where someone's coming from. This is about to be an extremely confusing situation. And we just don't know where the law is going to go on this, who's going to be charged with what. So just to be very, very specific, if you're in this situation where you may be in a state or you may be a provider who's unsure of the legal status of the, of the services you're about to provide. When it comes to abortion, step one, don't search obvious terms on Google, especially. At the very least, use DuckDuckGo. Should you use a VPN? I, I think it, it's not a bad idea, but it gives people too much false sense of security. And you might consider that not necessarily something that is that is going to help, but but don't don't do the obvious search terms. If you've got to search for information, go to a, a public point to do it. Maybe borrow someone else's device to do it. Go to go to a friend's house and search there. Who knows? Maybe they'll be charged with aiding and abetting. And what about location services on your phone, making use of map apps? Do you recommend turning them off entirely? Use, you know, allow them only while using the app. Is there, is there a best practice around those? That's another great, it's a great suggestion and a great question. I think to the extent that you reasonably can turn them off, especially if you're in this specific situation that we have been talking about, you know, get your map done on your PC, get the driving directions and use them. Don't rely on the turn by turn and don't rely on Google in particular. Apple would be better from a data sharing perspective. But but yes, that's another thing that you want to be careful of. And I think in general, the last the last thing that I forgot to mention is if you're in if you're in a situation you can't, you know, there's a lot of gray area and you're trying to figure out what to do and and the legal situation has changed, the less people you tell in some, in some ways, the better. Because all of these people that are friends of yours that might mean well, whatever, can end up exposing you because of what they do. So on social media. Yeah, on social media or using right. their own queries. So you you want to be private in the true sense of the word. Don't tell others unless they need to know. Until you've resolved whatever situation you need to. And if you are, I, I can't, this is just me conjecturing here, but when it comes to your location, which again is, I can't believe we've somehow entered, you know, in, in the book 1984, the way the government tracked where you were going was they had screens everywhere, but they were stationary. Somehow we got tricked into carrying the screen with us. I, I, know how that happened. But anyway, your location services could be on for any number of apps that don't relate to a map or something that you're actively using. And that in itself could be a source of data leakage. So especially if you are on a trip to seek medical services, medical consultation, or a medical procedure, make sure at that time, I'm guessing that you're, you're not giving away any location data through your phone maybe don't take your phone with you. Sadly, that's the easiest, it's good advice. And that's sadly the easiest advice. 
but it also shows us the exchange or the trade that we've made. We get this ease of use. We get, you know, turn by turn directions. We get to be able to be called by anybody at any time because our phone is in our pocket. But the trade-off for that is we've given up a tremendous amount of data, so much so that it's even hard to know how to turn it. I want to close on a topic that is very rich and could be the source of its own show. And indeed, I've, I've, I've done shows about this before, but I just want to talk for a moment about regulation. To some degree, it's hard to blame these companies. As you said before, entrepreneurs are going to entrepreneur. People in business are going to do business. And without a legal limitation on the basic business model of all of these companies, I mean, look, Facebook, who are the customers? The customers are the advertisers. What's the product? Where are the product? The users are the product. That's disquieting in itself. I know that Europe has meaningful privacy regulation in place that's well ahead of what we have in the United States. Are there clear regulations that would help here in the US that you could recommend? Yeah, and I think that's another area of some good news and some positive momentum. We have a, a privacy law in California now in its second iteration that is similarly strong to Europe's GDP. And we have several state legislatures that have passed privacy laws with similar components that protect citizens and give citizens rights to say, hey, you know what? I don't want my data used and I don't want it to be made for sale. And when I stop being a customer of yours, I want it deleted forever. So these laws typically have those kinds of components. You can go see what information is out there about you, correct it if it's wrong, you know, redact it and even delete it. And so we're seeing that in Colorado, Utah, Connecticut, Vermont, and there are a number of other state legislatures looking at crafting and debating similar bills. So I believe that these things, these, these kinds of laws give essentially rights back to us as citizens to have some kind of control and oversight over the data that's ultimately ours. It's our personal data. And that should be the table stakes across this entire country and indeed all over the world. And we see that happening. Brazil just passed a sweeping privacy law. Even of all places, China passed in 2021 a information protection law. Now, it doesn't stop the Chinese government from knowing everything they know, but it is an indicator that every government and every society is, is starting to come to terms with something that's way out of balance, way out of equilibrium, which is, you know, has, has not manifested itself any more prevalently than here now in America, and especially with this abortion debate. Say that website again, if people want to get more DIY information or they want to look into your service. Sure. It's just joindeleteme.com. And of course, if you want to find out more about Rob Chevelle, you can probably buy that information online from a data broker. You can also do the same thing for me, Matt Robeson. Just remember, don't send me cat videos. Cats are terrible. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on Beyond Politics.